0: Now, here are your hosts for On the Mark, Mark Lawrence and Ben Reichley.
1: Greetings. Welcome on board WKOK's live telephone talk show, On the Mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. Ben has the day off. He's on a a very important business trip, hopefully to a sunny location with some granulars of sand equally distributed around, but uh, uh, we don't know where he is. But we are very glad to say our friend, Civil War aficionado, retired IT specialist, and uh, most importantly, uh, these days. Folks refer to him as grandpa. is his favorite title,
2: right? Yes, it is.
1: All right. Stan Zeller is here. He's one of the founders of the Susquehanna Valley Conservatives. So welcome aboard, sir. You are well?
2: I am well. Boy, that Ben knows when to get out of town. It's chilly out there this morning.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's perfect. I I know a lot of folks that are out really working, working, and uh, this will be perfect weather for them. All right. It is Financial Friday, so we'll simply say quickly, the Sunbury Motor Company is the sponsor of our entire show. And we'll go right to the news line where we would find Bob Garrett, president and CEO of the Greater Susquehanna Valley Chamber of Commerce. Good morning, Bob.
0: Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Stan. It's good to see the both of you on the radio this morning. I guess our challenge today is uh, we're going to take data and try to get to the so what of it as quickly as possible. Uh, so we have breaking news, but uh, uh, before we get to that, maybe, uh, Mark, you want to introduce uh, the other folks are with me, and uh, we can jump into the labor statistics, and then we have our state's recognized expert in census data. So we'll really get into the so what today.
1: Okay, so today we dig. Bob Garrett of the Chamber of Commerce is here. Art Thomas, Chairman of the Greater Susco Valley Chamber of Commerce, President of MEC Tech and Diversified Construction. Very busy company doing superlative work, I'm hearing from one of your good clients, uh, saying that uh, uh, not OCD, but real perfectionists are some of the uh, men and women on these crews. So thank you, Art, for calling in today.
3: Thanks for that introduction, Mark. It's great to be with everybody today. Hopefully, everybody stayed relatively dry this week and we'll have an opportunity to have a great weekend with this great weather, their forecast.
1: All right. We have Sue Capella on the line. She's the director of the Pennsylvania State Data Center. We're going to be talking about census data and really dig into the local area momentarily. But, Sue, thank you so much for being on the line this morning as well.
4: Oh, thank you again. Thank you for having me also on online
1: today. I do appreciate that. If you have an observation that relates to our jobless discussion that is always our kickoff, feel free uh, to weigh in on that. Bob, what do you think? We have jobless rate uh, down, went down uh, to 5.2%. It was 5.4% in July. Uh, but as you heard the good uh, negative spin from the CBS commentator, only 235,000 new jobs uh, created. What's your view on that?
0: Yeah, Mark. I I, uh, uh, I I detected when I was doing uh, the show prep and researching where we might be uh, as far as an August job report. Uh, as, just as a reminder to everybody, the the data that comes out on that on this the first Friday of the month is data that was collected in the week of the previous month. So this is we're really looking at a snapshot of August. I would say uh the the key difference in the five economists that the chamber follows and subscribes to uh the key difference from the july report to the august report is in july i was hearing a lot of exuberance uh just about all the economists we're talking about million jobs created sort of thing uh the couple problems here we have this labor shortage we have a few other things going on um in august with the uh with the onslaught of the Delta variant of um, of COVID-19, I expected real caution on most of their parts. Um, however, the consensus of those economists—these are these are intelligent, um, uh, peer-reviewed individuals—the consensus was it'd be about 750,000 jobs um, down. You know, that's still down considerably from July. The number that came in, 235,000, is if anybody needed confirmation uh, that uh, the Delta variant is a real thing and that it's, uh, it is beginning to uh, show up in the data, uh, they just got it. Uh, that's a, that's a, you know that's one third, uh, almost actually it's one quarter of where we were uh, just one month earlier. Um, you know we're we're hopeful uh, that some things are loosening up uh, return to school. Uh, we're hoping that'll allow some parents to go back to work who've not been able to do that as their children have been either home on summer break or or uh, uh, or or you know uh, from working from home virtual school. Um, you know you heard what they said about child care. you heard about a you know compromise. I think everybody knows that the um, that the extra, the $300 uh, federal stimulus, if you will, into the unemployment uh, does run out this weekend. Um, it, you know, so those things are, are happening. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to uh, be cavalier and suggest that, that that $300 was not needed. It was probably, for some people, it was very much needed. It was certainly needed early in the pandemic, uh, but the time had come for that to expire. Uh, So uh, the other headline we heard was that uh, the unemployment rate, now this is the national rate, not our local or state rate, but but the national rate did drop uh, from 5.4% to 5.2%. So headlines are unemployment down, labor uh, growth stalling a bit, probably very complicated for why it is stalling out.
1: U.S. labor participation rate the same, 61.7% in August. So no change there. So we're <laughs> bouncing uh, below the bottom, really. We, we were at the, really what we hoped would be the bottom only a couple of short years ago, but now we're still lower thanks to the pandemic. Art, your view on this, you're out and about in the central Susquehanna Valley a lot. You certainly interact with many people. So you get a sense on what's happening in the business world and, and among residents of the Valley. Your reaction?
3: I'm sorry to say that uh, the 235, 235,000 is not a surprise to me. Obviously, we would have liked to have seen the 720 or the 750 that some experts have been forecasting. But uh, the between the surge of COVID uh, and the uncertainty with respect to an eviction moratorium, I'm neither a landlord nor a renter at this point in my life. So I haven't followed it as closely as some others. I don't know if there's an eviction moratorium in place right now or if it's been stopped or if it's under appeal and whether anybody can be evicted. Uh, the unemployment still in place till this weekend has uh, got caused for a lot of apprehension and uh, not necessarily an urgency to get back to work. and all we've, all we've heard for six months now since we came out of winter is everybody needs help and I have not heard anybody say in the last few weeks, oh, we're good now, we got, we got all the help we need, we've, we've hired uh, everything we needed. Uh, and then of course, student loan repayment has been extended to January, which is some relief for people, good or bad. So uh, there's a lot of moving parts here, a lot of uncertainty, unfortunately, and in, with what Bob just said regarding Snapshot, that means when we talk again in October, we'll be looking at a snapshot of the second week of September, which is next week, so I doubt there will be much movement at that point, but maybe by the time we talk in November some people have gone back to work, Uh, the eviction moratorium will be clearer as to what's going on, and people will be starting to think about those student loan repayments that they're going to have to make come January, and maybe those numbers will be going up. I can't explain why unemployment went down while the number of job increases went down also.
1: Sue, some observations on this. Do you wish to add to the initial reaction comments that we're having?
4: No, I think um, what you're seeing in the uh, Valley, I think we're seeing across Pennsylvania also. Um, and I'm saying the same thing, same thing that Art said is that, You know, hopefully we'll see some changes once the moratorium's over and that type of thing, Um, and also with the uh, change in the unemployment without that extra check.
1: All right, so we'll keep an eye on that. Thank you so much for that.
4: Yeah, I think every place in Pennsylvania is hurting for workers.
1: All right, Bob, uh, you wish to ask the first question of Sue that relates to our dive into census data, please.
0: Yeah, so, uh, uh, Mark, I need to uh, let your listeners know that – even though i'm an old hand at census data i was uh, the union county coordinator for the census in the 1980 and the 1990 round uh sure enough i blew it uh and the data that i sent out to you and stan and art last evening uh was the estimated data and uh and this morning uh susan saw that and immediately said wow oh, that's the estimated here's the real stuff uh so she got that out to me so i I guess I'll, I'll begin with a bit of a maya Copa and ask Sue, uh, just could you take a minute and walk us through the process? We know that April 1st, uh, 2020 was Census Day. Um, here we are at September 3rd, 2021. Uh, what, has, what, what has happened so far and what can we expect, say in the next few weeks, next few months, as far as getting data out of the 2020 census?
4: Well, like everything else, the uh, COVID has impacted census, as we all know. Um, you know, census day came around right after um, COVID hit. Um, we saw um, a lot of people that, and especially like in college towns, if you have college towns in your area, which you do, um, students weren't there. Um, so everything had changed. The entire process of how census went about Um, changed a little bit, they extended the time to um, collect information, which um, they said, I think they said a 99.9% collection rate, the response rate through all the different programs, um, which is really good. Um, So while the data was a little delayed in collecting, that also put a delay in data. By this time, probably last decade, we would have had what we call that summary, rich data about, you know, population by age and race, by five-year age group, by single years of age group, Um, right now, what we have is what we call the redistricting file. So, what we have is total population by race, Uh, we have um, total population by race, we have it by group quarters, and then we have housing units, um, vacant and non-vacant, we also have the population 18 years and older that other data, the more detailed data um, that was collected, so you're getting down to a little bit um, more granular information, like five-year age groups, um, might be some household types, um, how people are related to each other in households, um, that type of thing, probably will not be out until very late 2021, um, early 2022. The Census Bureau has not told us at all when that's being released, So that is uh, my timeline based on um, what we know and how long it usually takes to get that information after the redistricting file. Um, Even the redistricting file, if you go out to the Census Bureau website, um, is not there in a user-friendly format. That date is coming out, if I'm not mistaken, on um, next week. Uh, excuse me, two weeks on September 16th. Right now, the file that we got is in what would they call the legacy format. So the data centers across the country have been busy taking that legacy format, which is not a user-friendly file, and getting the numbers ready and getting them out so everyone can see them. Uh, in fact, if people go to our website, the Pennsylvania State Data Center, um, we have a Um, two digital dashboards out there so you can look at your county data or your municipal data by uh, population change population by race uh, population by race it's changed from 2010 to 20 how many people are in group quarters by type of group quarters and then the number of occupied and vacant housing units so it's a quick snapshot of any municipality, any county in Pennsylvania. So I would say if you have the chance, go out to the Pennsylvania, just Google Pennsylvania State Data Center, our website um, will pop right up. And then there's a section under data and then dashboards. the other important thing that will be happening later uh, this year in December, municipalities will rec- will be receiving a letter from the Census Bureau talking about what's called count question resolution, where um, the municipality has the chance if they do not think their census number is correct to, you know, to send census information of why it might not be correct. The, um The final guidelines of what that program's going to include um, are not finalized at this time. In back past decades, um, if you notice that, uh, let's say if have a group quarter and it was not in the right location, um, you could say, okay, it should be moved over here, those types of things. Or if you have housing units that are in the wrong location, you can say, hey, those housing units shouldn't be there, they should be over here, that type of thing. Um, so that will be coming up and municipalities will have the chance to um, request the change Uh, based on information that they provide to Census Bureau.
1: All right, Sue. Thank you so much for the early analysis. When we come back, we're going to dig a little bit more deeply uh, into that. Uh, We have on the line, Sue Coppola is uh, director of the Pennsylvania State Data Center on the state's uh, census data and how it's going to have an impact on, well, I'm just going to call it clout, uh, the impact of representation and uh, think grant money that comes to areas where uh, population data is critically important. Art Thomas, chairman of the Chamber of Commerce, is on the line. Bob Garrett, president of the Chamber. Standing by, we'll take a quickie break. We'll be back with uh, they and Stan Zellers when we return.
5: Thank <laughs> you.
1: All right. Welcome back to KOK Live Telephone Talk Show on the Mark. We're doing Financial Friday with the Greater Susquehanna Valley Chamber of Commerce. Stan, you have a quick question for our guest Sue Capella from the Pennsylvania State Data Center.
2: I have a couple. Uh, Sue, good morning. Stan Zellers here. Uh, I think you've answered the good first morning. first question that I had, and that is, is this data publicly available? And uh, apparently, from what you said, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. Uh I'm an XIT guy and I still write my own computer code. Uh Okay. <laughs> is is it in a downloadable format?
4: Uh yes, if you go out to the Census Bureau's uh website, you can download the form uh download the file. Um it's probably on the redistricting page. Um and you can download the files for Pennsylvania. Um so there will be some data sets there, um, and also there's um, the data, what we call an old data dictionary, mm-hmm. that will give you what what you need to create a program for that. Mm-hmm. You might also be able to find some programs out there that have already been developed by other states or by us. I think we're doing R's in SAS. Okay. Um, I know some other states are using R. Mm -hmm. that type of thing, Um, but if you wait another week and a half, you'll be able to get everything in a very user-friendly format from the Census Bureau website.
1: Wait for that. All right. Bob, additional question for our our good guest here as it relates to uh, digging In and Future Clout is on the line here. Bob Garrett? Going once?
0: Yeah. I I guess I was waiting for the question. did, did you want me to ask the question uh, Mark is that the point? Yep Okay so uh, so uh, it's interesting uh, Sue that, that this is in the redistricting file uh, that sets us up for a conversation about redistricting we're talking about members of Congress we know that because Pennsylvania had growth but it was a slow growth state that we're going to lose one congressional district mm-hmm. uh, which means that basically the balls—the the remaining 17 balls, if you will, so the remaining 17 districts are now all up in the air. How, yes. does, how does the average person, particularly the average business owner, how do they use this data to participate, become active in the discussion related to redistricting and who their future member of Congress might be? So, how do we use the data to to better uh, participate in that process?
4: Well, wow, that's a hard question. <laughs> um, I guess what you would need to do, as you know, so we did have 18 congressional seats. We now have 17. So, what the um, there is a uh, redistricting committee, which is made up of. Uh, both House and Senate um, caucuses, Democrat and Republican, and then an independent fifth uh, person. And there is a website. The state does have a redistricting uh, commission website if you want any more information about that commission. Um, But they will take the information, and um, the data will be at the block level, and they will put the data together so you have 17 equal population areas. So when I look at the um, population change map, and I'm just looking at the county, you'll see that the majority of the growth in Pennsylvania ha- is in the uh, southeast and south-central part of the state, a little bit of growth in, you know, the Pittsburgh area. So those 18 districts will now need to be – those 18 previous districts will now need to be spread over 17 areas, so areas of growth will probably get, you know, that's where you'll probably see additional reps or the, you know, the, the, the areas might get smaller, while the um, rural areas or the um, areas that lost population, those districts will probably get bigger. And if I'm not mistaken, so not mistaken. Last decade, we also lost one seat, Um, and so the uh, north, uh, the north northern tier, north central part of the state, uh, north part of the state, kind of those districts got bigger, and the ones around the south southeast, uh, south central got um, a little small tighter, if you would say.
1: All right, and Art, Um, do you have a question or observation for our guests?
3: It's uh, a unique one, I think, and I don't expect her to know the answer. But as a civil engineer here in a central part of the state, that Uh a lot of what we do is is stormwater design and solving drainage problems, Mm -hmm. uh, we're always concerned and curious about the status of MS4, municipal storm sewer systems. And, you know, Sunbury, I think each of the last two census periods was close to but not required to abide by the MS4 criteria, which adds a lot of uh, dollars and cost to municipalities to regulate their storm sewer systems. In fact, some people in the southeast now have stormwater management taxes in their municipalities. And with the loss of population, uh, one would think that we would not come under the MS4 criteria for the next 10 years, but uh, we don't know if the criteria might change.
4: Right. Right, yes, yeah, Sunbury lost You know, less than a couple hundred people, less than 200 people um, over that last decade. Uh, and that's the other thing that uh, the data is used for. Um, you know, townships and uh, boroughs and cities, based on the population, could they change a class of where what class they're in? There are different regulations that are um, – you can find those in the Pennsylvania Manual on how those changes might – um, might t- take about. Um, I think townships are a little more lax that they don't need to change their um, classification if they don't want to, if they're going from a second class to a first class.
1: Sue, thank you so much for weighing in today. We're very glad for your analysis. And as more data comes back out, please come mm-hmm. back and, and participate in sure. more discussions here. We will do that. Bob, we'll let you wrap you up. You have a moment here to uh, talk about important activities, events, and meetings with the Chamber.
0: Yeah, thank you, Mark. Uh, the Chamber is back to uh, uh, full schedule, full speed ahead. In fact, I'm uh, in a few minutes going to be packing up my ribbon-cutting gear and heading for Shemokin, where we'll be dedicating the or rededicating the 99 steps. Uh, next week, we have a uh, an exciting uh, rise and shine. Next Friday, a week from today, uh, we'll be getting a briefing on the Central Susquehanna Valley Thruway. That's, uh, that will be a uh, virtual uh, so, we'll invite everybody who's listening to just go to gsvcc.org and sign up uh, to hear exactly what's going on with the Thruway construction project. And then lots of other activity uh, also available at the same website, gsvcc.org. Thanks,
1: Mark. You betcha. And that was a postponed 99 steps. I think that was actually scheduled for uh, Wednesday and uh, was postponed there. So uh, we appreciate that. Thank you, everybody, for participating in our discussion today. Thank you, Sue Capella, Director of the Pennsylvania State Data Center, Art Thomas, Chairman of the Greater Susquehanna Valley Chamber of Commerce and President of MEC Tech and Diversified Construction, Inc. And thank you, Bob Garrett, President and CEO of the Greater Susquehanna Valley Chamber of Commerce. We appreciate you all checking in today
0: thank you
4: Thank you.
1: do appreciate that. Thank you. All right. That is our Financial Friday discussion. If you have any questions for them, just go to gsvcc.org. That's the main website of the Greater Susquehanna Valley Chamber of Commerce, and they will uh, make sure that uh, even if you have just a question for Sue, they'll forward that so you can ask her that question. When we come back after CBS News, we're going to go right into another interview with Cliff Readers, the regional attorney, talking about the Texas abortion law and the mask mandate in Pennsylvania. One is perfectly legal. The other, I'm not so sure in that order. We'll talk about that when we come back. This is WKOK Sunday.
0: News Radio 1070 WKOK presents On the Mark. It's a chance to voice your opinion on the events that affect life in the Susquehanna Valley call 1-800-795-9565 or email on the mark at wkok.com Now, here's your host for On the Mark, Mark Lawrence.
1: Greetings. Welcome back to WKOK Live Telephone Talk Show. On the Mark, I am Mark Lawrence. Stan Zellers is directly across from me. He is one of the founders of the Susquehanna Valley Conservatives, an active group that continues to hold meetings and uh, sometimes via Zoom and continues to put good information out there that relates to uh, important topics. So we appreciate him being in here today. Thank you, Stan, for coming in.
2: Hey, thanks very much for having me.
1: Pull that mic just a little bit closer to you if you would, so you're talking right into it. All right, so we appreciate that. Rob Center is our fabulous producer. Uh, We will have on the news line shortly Cliff Readers, noted regional attorney. He's a founding partner at Readers, Travis Humphrey Waters and Dorman. And we're going to talk about the new abortion law that's uh, existing and is law now in Texas and the new Pennsylvania mask mandate. So with that, Cliff is on the line. Good morning, sir. Thank you so much. Glad, Glad we caught you in the US and uh, glad you carved out some time for us.
6: Glad to be here, glad to be here. It's a fascinating time. So, and uh, constitutional law that's my thing, so I really uh, enjoy
1: Well, we have so much to talk about in the news in general, and almost all of it has a uh, a legal weigh-in or legal components associated with this. So let's start out with the new Texas abortion law. Very uh, unusual law. What's your remark and your observation about that particular
2: law?
6: Well, my remark is that you know, watching the various news programs, nobody really uh, tells the public what's going on in an accurate way. So let's just talk really briefly about what the Supreme Court did. This was a a, a request that had been made in a lower court that was then presented to the Supreme Court for an injunction that is stop the law from going into effect. And this was a law that gave public uh, that gave private citizens the right to bring actions against abortions um where a heartbeat was detectable. And the concept of creation of a private right of action, by the way, is not that unusual. Uh you find it in state and federal laws all the time. People bring private right of actions to enforce federal or state mandates. That is not absolutely remarkable. And, in fact, many people feel that the concept of a private attorney general, which is what that's called in the law, is actually a good thing. It saves the government money. However, it is certainly, in this context, it's certainly unique. Now, what the court did is they didn't say that the, law, the, the Texas law was good or bad, which is what most of the press is telling people. Oh, the U.S. Supreme Court said that you, know, you can restrict abortions to six weeks or when there's a heartbeat. That's not what it said. What they said was that. I have the opinion in front of me, so this is the official opinion from the Supreme Court. Um, the individual who was named, so when you know, lawsuits file, people sue people, right? So the person who was sued um, uh, in order to set this law aside, um, the private citizen who was sued, said that he had no intention of trying to enforce the law. And, uh, and, and the state authorities apparently said the same thing. The state, I'm reading from the opinion, quote, the state has represented that neither it nor its executive employees possess the authority to enforce the Texas law either directly or indirectly, close quote. Finally, the sole private citizen responded. That means the person they sued. The, the, the sole, the individual private citizen sued before us has filed an affidavit stating he has no present intention to enforce the law. So what they're saying is something we run into all the time. Recently I had a case thrown out from a federal court in uh, in Durham, North Carolina. That is essentially a lack of standing. That is, there's really nobody here who is a proper person sued. Um, Now... The, the, what the court said is uh, was very careful to say, and the dissenters noted this, by the way. The, the, the court said very carefully in reaching this conclusion um, that we, we, we do not base our decision on any, quote, on any conclusion about the constitutional, constitutionality of Texas law, close quote. So they make very explicit they are not ruling on whether this law can is, 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 withstand constitutional muster under Roe v. Wade and um, all they're really saying is that there's not a reason to grant an emergency injunction because we don't really have the right parties before us. We don't really have what's called a ripe case and controversy. Now, aside from whether they're right or wrong about that, and you know, the question of standing is something that's been argued ever since I've been a lawyer, and I've had many of those cases myself. The question is who has the right to bring an action? Uh, are the right people being sued when you're dealing with these you know, with grand issues like this? That's always a question. But it's always a question getting the right people to bring the claim um, who really have a, a stake in the controversy and suing the people who are the right defendants or those who are enforcing the law, who can enforce the law, who uh, that, that sort of thing. That is a, you know, that's a very common, lawyers call that jurisdictional issue. This court did not rule, very explicitly did not rule, on whether this law is constitutional. Now, what made the dissenters angry is They felt that the underlying law, even though it's not an issue, that it is potentially so dramatic um, in terms of the fact that it, it you know, it seems to, to uh, obviously, it is much more uh, restrictive than rover v. Wade, uh, which is U.S. Supreme Court prior precedent, um, and it, you know, it, it has a potential, at least in the future, for upsetting the apple cart, and be, because of that, they're counseling. Let's let's. Hold, put an injunction in place Let's prevent the law from going into effect And then deciding it uh, the, the other side um, Who were the prevailing Obviously the prevailing justices said, Looked at it the opposite way They said no no we're, we're gonna, The law is going to be challenged And there's going to be a full hearing And full briefing on it and everything else But there's no reason to stop it from going into effect right now Because there, there's nobody enforcing it at the moment um, so it, at the moment, it's kind of a theoretical question, um, and there's, there's plenty of time to have a full hearings and briefings before the court. This comes up all the time. I've handled many injunctions in my career, uh, especially in federal court. And this is a, a, an always debate. Um, do you issue an injunction to, 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 to maintain the status quo, or do you say, no, no injunction, um, you know, the thing's going to get decided anyway, we'll decide a yes or no. I will tell you that most judges... That I've encountered in most courts are reluctant to to are reluctant to issue emergency injunctions. They would rather that uh, decide the case on the full merits to look at all the sides of it. Is it right or wrong? Do we have all the right parties here? Are the right people suing? Are the right people being sued? Uh, and most judges are reluctant to grant injunctions. Uh, granting an injunction is an emergency, extraordinary thing to do. So. Um, I, just uh, Again, I'm just trying to stay away from whether it's right or wrong. Um, clearly this law uh, uh, on its substance would seem to violate Roe v. Wade. I mean, it, it certainly would seem to, to say that because Roe said that in the first tri-semester, um, there's, a, there's a, uh, a woman has a, a right under the 14th Amendment, the First Amendment, and as a, you know, the various principles they glean from the Constitution um, to have an abortion, and that cannot be restricted. So one would think that, assuming you have the right parties, the right person is suing and being sued, you got to change Roe v. Wade or or this law has to go. I mean, so, so clearly it's going to get decided um, at some point, but it's not going to be decided right now, today.
1: But the, the law is in effect, and the damage is being done. So we do know that the, the abortion clinics, the places where abortions happen in Texas, aren't, uh, are in compliance with the new law. Women are being turned away, being referred to other states. So uh, the, uh, what uh, the pro-choice uh, groups are arguing is that the damage is happening.
6: Okay. So what, what, why do you say that? so if' you're in the appeal, let's get a look at the law let 's not look at it for a moment let 's step back. you know, you know me. I always like to step back from the drama and, and just look at the facts for a second, okay so let 's just step back right or wrong, drama all the, let the your, what you just said is based upon an asterisk on page three of the sotomayor dissenting opinion, and she cites CNN and other news organizations um, for the fact that um, clinics uh, are reluctant to do these procedures uh, because of the potential effect on the law. Of the law, that's what that is. What that's based upon, whether that's true or not. Um, whether that's really uh, has a chilling effect, you know, we don't really know. We know that it's, a, it's what I would call a casual observation based upon um, the, the kind of data that courts do not typically rely upon. Most courts do not rely upon news stories from news organizations um, or from websites. She also cites, for example, the Alamo Women's Reproductive Care website um and and the Southwest Women's Surgery Center um website. So uh, that that's not those are not facts that courts again, right or wrong, those are not facts courts customarily customarily rely upon. Any clinic that says we're not gonna do an abortion because we think that this law might be sustained in the future and um we're worried that this could, you know, somehow hurt us down the road Um, They're making a a business decision based upon what they think the law will be. People do that every day, all the time. Um, You know, we do that in our business. Everybody does that. If you think there's some law pending that's gone into effect that might be challenged, you know, there's always concern about it. Uh, for example, Governor Wolf uh, in COVID-19 and other governors around the country issue all kinds of proclamations and rules. And are they constitutional or not? Well, who knows? It's going to, they're going to work their way through the courts, and some of them may be constitutional, some of them may not be. In the meantime, businesses have to decide, are they going to risk Um, being held in violation of the law, or are they going to bet that the law is uh, going to be knocked down enough to worry about it anyway? So, I mean, people in business make those decisions every day. Every business makes them. Uh, every business worries about regulation, laws, constitutional challenges to laws. I don't care if it's the aircraft industry, the legal industry, the, the, uh, your industry. <laughs> you know, there, there's always, there's always a, a, a concern. And when people run businesses, you know, they have to take into account the possibility that what they're doing may or not, may not be um, appropriate in some way. So, you know, it, it's, you know I, I'm not saying that it doesn't have a chilling effect. Um, for there not to be an injunction, you could say that, well, maybe some people who run these clinics are afraid that the law will be upheld. That's really what you're saying. That's really what Justice Sotomayor is saying, that, that there are people who operate these clinics who are worried that the law may be – well, that's possible anytime in any state. I mean, uh, abortion – anybody who runs an abortion clinic knows they're in a controversial business, right? They know that Roe v. Wade could be overturned tomorrow, and you know they're all taking that chance – so, I mean, I, I get where they're coming from, that they are concerned that this law, authorizing private attorneys general, may be upheld and therefore, you know, in instance, put them out of business. Um, but, you know, it's kind of early in the game for anybody to panic.
1: All right. Uh, let's talk about another topic in Pennsylvania, the mask mandate. The governor went back into the archives and found a public health law that he said would make it okay for him to mandate masks in schools. Your view on that use of that particular law.
6: So that's even more, that's also, I would say, more interesting. It's all very interesting. So I wrote an op-ed uh, August 12th. I was a little bit ahead of the curve on this one called An Old Debate Warmed Over. So in Jacobson versus Massachusetts, which is a 1905 case that came out of Massachusetts. Uh, There was a Massachusetts statute requiring smallpox vaccination, and Justice Harlan, very well-respected justice at that time, delivered the opinion of the court with two dissenting votes, by the way, two dissents, and he wrote that the police power of the state was paramount during an epidemic and that they had a right to require vaccinations and to find people who did not take them. And you, you read this opinion from 1905, it reads like yesterday's news. You know, That's, uh, he, he specifically looked at the science behind vaccination. Very interesting, and he doesn't mention this in the opinion, but during the, there are people who believe, and McCullough is one of them, the great historian, that during the American Revolutionary War, one of the reasons why the colonists succeeded is because Washington uh, it, uh, made all his troops be exposed to smallpox. And, and the reason that he knew exposure to smallpox would build up immunity is because he made one trip outside of the United States, outside of the colonies, his whole life. And he went down to the Caribbean, and Washington himself contracted smallpox. However, he recovered. And he realized that no matter how many people he was around who had smallpox, he never got sick again. So he, uh, went way, way ahead of his time, right, he made all this, he he would scratch the arms of his soldiers at Valley Forge, exposing the smallpox, they might get a little sick for a while, just a little tiny bit of smallpox exposure, but they never got it again. As a result of that, the the colonials were much less sick than the British was, I mean, smallpox was a scourge, and it destroyed armies, it destroyed peoples, it destroyed Native Americans, um, so, uh, as a result of that requirement that Washington imposed, uh, our, our forces, our, our boys were much more healthy than the British. And that was, according to McCullough, a big deal, uh, in terms of, you know, winning the, the Revolutionary War. Now, so it was, it was always known that smallpox could be, uh, prevented or reduced by, by vaccinations, by exposure to a small amount of smallpox. They were exposing people in 1905 to live smallpox. Okay, so, so uh, almost every state in the union, and I can't speak for all 50 states, but almost every state in the union has a law that grants what they call police powers, and I'm using the 1905 phrase, we don't really use that power today very much, or we don't use that terminology. Um, But but most states and municipalities grant the police power to their officials To prevent harm, to prevent disease, to prevent uh, outbreaks of disease Prevention of disease and addressing disease is a classic police power And that's what Jacobson versus Massachusetts said in in 1905 And so the law that he relied upon, again, it's not anything unique or unusual I mean, it's there Uh, It is uh, the administrative code in 1929 And, again, grants the police power to the state. It's a power given to the Department of Health, Secretary, to limit diseases. Now, here's what's really interesting about all of this. Both conservatives and liberals, okay, conservatives and liberals have pushed the envelope aggressively um, on individual civil rights and liberties since 1905. Um, And uh, just to give you, you know, to think about this for a minute, if you look at some of the examples and I had written down a whole bunch of them here on my desk, but they managed to get up and walk away. But just look at what, what's happened in your room. You've got Roe versus Wade, for example. You've got the concept that you're, you're finding in what the lawyers call the penumbra, the penumbra of the First Amendment, and in the 14th Amendment, the due process clause. They're finding these rights. They're finding the right for a woman to have an abortion the 1st trimester. tri-semester. They find a constitutional right for people of the same sex to get married. They found in Heller versus D.C. the right to own an individual weapon um, in your apartment in D.C., even though that's not in the Second Amendment in that way. Um, And the Warren Court and the courts that have followed the Warren Court um, have time and time again found um, rights in the Constitution that are not explicitly there, but they believe are inferred by the logic of the First Amendment, and the 14th Amendment, and it's kind of this right to individual rights and liberties, uh, which has been a generally, not always, it's not always a clear march, but you know, a generally expanding notion. So now the, 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 you'll hear people talk about the constitutional right to resist vaccinations or to resist mask mandates. None of that would have been known in 1905. Okay, in 1905, if you had said to, to, to Justice Harlan or anybody else, um, there's a right for a woman to abort, there's a right for people of the same sex to get married. A, and if all of this is in the Constitution. Hollywood would have laughed at you. I mean, certainly in, uh, you know, I, I went to law school in Harlan in 1905, and these were, at that time, the time I went to law school, it was a, it, it was a burning issue um, as to how far you push the Constitution without, you know, rewriting it. And so what we've done is we've found that the Constitution has grown and morphed in a way used by both conservatives and liberals alike. Look at all the religion cases, for example, that that religious conservatives have utilized, saying, uh, I have a right not only to practice, but also to preach my religion. So they've used the cases that were beneficial to those who were against religion to push the religious agenda. Uh, they say well the, the establishment clause says that uh, we can't establish a state religion, but there's also a right for me to practice my religion. It's also in the in the First Amendment, right? So um different sides of the dispute have grown the Constitution to their own particular benefit. That's what I'm trying to say. Everybody has tried to grow the Constitution um, in order to uh, uh, in order to suit their uh, their particular view. So what's happening with this mass mandate, vaccination mandates, all of this kind of stuff, is if you look at the older cases, 1905 cases, nobody found the Constitution protected people from or, or found any kind of right to resist public health measures. I mean, it just you know they would have laughed at you in 1905. Harlan would have laughed at you, as great as he was, and and that would have been true up through the modern times. Now we find, wait a minute, we're finding in the Constitution um, this, uh, this, this sense of personal liberty in the First Amendment, the 14th Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, this sense of personal liberty to be able to resist government mandates and requirements that we might find obnoxious for religious reasons, for example. Somebody says, I have a religious objection. Uh, I rep- I've represented civil rights cases myself, the Amish, for example. Okay. Amish may say... And so other religious groups may say uh, It's against my religion to get a vaccination I feel that's an invasion of my body uh, Certainly those who are Christian scientists uh, I remember as a kid My mother had a friend who was a Christian scientist And a lady, a uh, very wonderful lady I remember her by name And she got cancer at some point point. And I remember my mother going In fact, I went with my mother Going on her to urge her to get the care and treatment She wouldn't get it She said, "You know, God will decide whether I live or die." And unfortunately, she did pass away. Remember, my mother was very sad about that. She was, she was a good friend, but that, you know, she had a a right to resist uh, uh, medical care. Now, uh, we've had it happen with blood transfusion cases, where certain groups objected to blood transfusions. So, the courts have always had a very difficult time dealing with those things. In, In the older cases would have said, well, no, there's not a right to die or a right to let your children die because of your religious views. It's ridiculous. The snakebite cases. You know, you don't have a right to have snakebites as a, a, a part of your, um, your religion, for example. The right to smoke peyote, um, which was a hallucinogen. The Supreme Court said, no, there's no such right. So the, the, the question is the so personal rights and liberties as one that we've been arguing about, of course, since the founding of this republic, but uh, in, since the 70s, since the introduction of the Warren Court, it has a much, there's a much more robust understanding that Americans have as individual rights and liberties that are not explicitly in the Constitution, but where we say, well, the Constitution, you know, really covers these kinds of issues. If, it, if it's not obvious from the wording, well, it's obvious from the intent. And that is an ongoing dispute and debate, and you can, you can come up, you know, I can give you examples the rest of the day um, as to examples as to where these constitutional rights clash, where the First Amendment religious rights clash with various government mandates based upon the police power, that clash of the police power with individual rights. Has been ongoing for a long time, and it's still ongoing. And that's and that's the what's fascinating about the COVID nineteen dispute. Let me stop Is you. A, right?
1: Let me stop you, you know? there and clarify yeah. the question: Can the governor force kids to wear masks in school? <laughs>
6: the government absolutely can can force it until the Supreme Court says otherwise. Um, I mean, right now, there the police power of the governor uh, under the current Case law. Um, Gives him that right under the, under the Statutory scheme we live under The question is going to be Somebody objects to it for Religious reasons, let's take an Religion is very strong because we have the First Amendment And I think that people who object to it For, for bona fide Religious reasons um, have, a, have a good case as the case law Has developed in the last few years They're going to have a good reason to object to it Supposing somebody objects to it because they just think it's a lousy idea I just don't know like, you're invading my body you know, by my making my kid wear, uh, I'm the parent. I have a right. There's no, there's no recognized case law that would support that today. Will the court go in that direction? Will they find some generalized right to deal with your own body the way you want? Maybe they'll rely on the abortion cases. It's interesting because, you know, let's face it, it's the conservatives who are objecting to uh, the mask mandate. Right? They will rely on the abortion cases. On the pro-abortion cases, which say well, there's a woman has a right to choose a connection with her body in the 1st trimester, right? So they'll rely on those cases, right to deal with my body as I see fit if I want to get sick. Now, do I have a right to make other people sick? You know, I decide I don't want to f- f- wear a face mask. I don't care if I get sick. But do, I, do I have a right to go into a public place and make other people sick? Um, so the courts, gonna, the courts are going to grapple with those issues And I, uh, I predict that if you're going to deal with some fundamental right Like a religious right, religious freedom Government is not going to be able to, to, uh, uh, you know, to endorse it. Uh, it And of course in private schools You have an issue, uh, can, can he enforce it in private schools? No, I don't think so But um, again, the police power traditionally If you want to go back to 1905 The Jacobson case was very strong so it's not as strong today, obviously, uh, and so maybe he'd have trouble enforcing it in private schools. Although he could cut funding the private schools, right? The private schools get funding; they get bus service, they get all kinds of stuff from the state. So there's various ways that it could be forced, even in the private school environment. Um, But I think outside of the religious context, health context, maybe somebody has asthma, they can't wear a mask for some reason like that. I think those cases will be successful in objecting to the mandate. But absent that sort of thing, the current law permits it. Now, as I say, the law will be challenged on all the various grounds that we're talking about. That we're now dealing with, uh, we're now dealing with a right to deal with your body as you wish. That is now paramount and is more significant than the police powers that were traditionally given to the state. That's going to be the battleground. Okay, well, yes. but.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say. Is that clear? Yes, 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 yes. So, so far, so good for the mandates as superintendents are meeting even as we speak to make sure that they're ready to comply. A lot of school districts have already done so. Any brief concluding remark that will help us talk about these uh, laws that uh, really put the yeah. courts in the spotlight?
6: So I, I really – so, yeah. So the courts become – yes. Yeah, so the courts become – great book written by Cardozo, uh, Benjamin Cardozo called The Nature of the Judicial Process – so Cardozo is a really interesting guy. Now, Cardozo is a good template for what's happening today. He went on the court in the 1920s, U.S. Supreme Court. So he was a, a liberal, quote unquote, when he served on the New York Court of Appeals. He then gets elevated to the United States Supreme Court, and all of a sudden he sees the world differently. He sees the same, the same reasoning he now sees from a different perspective. So you know that's sort of what's happening in, in general. People have to step back from these personal disputes. People have personal emotional reactions. Things like abortion and vaccinations And mass mandates uh, I talk to people about it Because I'm interested in different points of view People have very strong emotional views on these things But if you want to step back And you realize The arguments made by conservatives um, In 1905 are being made by liberals today And vice versa that, that when we make an argument For our own you know, Let's say personal liberties um, That could support Abortion it could also subor support uh, opposing you know vaccines. That's a very good example of how how uh, principles can be very malleable depending upon you know individual tastes. what What good judges and good justices and, and good lawyers try to do is establish some equilibrium so that there is not confusion. You know when the law is manipulated for political, sociological purposes, It becomes, it it does create um, difficulty in running a a society and a civilization in a, you know, kind of a normal way. So uh, if you listen to the news last night about this opinion, uh, I guarantee you, if you took a survey of your listeners, most people think that the U.S. Supreme Court has now ruled that Roe v. Wade is gone, (laughs) and that and that states can restrict abortions to six weeks. Period. End of story. That's what most people believe because that's basically what the press said. Uh, very hard to re- read the tea leaves. They didn't have any constitutional scholars on that, I heard anyway, um, to explain it. So um, people react emotionally, and that's a mistake because it creates a disequilibrium in society. It creates all it really does is it makes, us all, it makes us all angry at one another, and it's not a legitimate way to look at legal issues.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and being on the show. We really appreciate it and the analysis. And the constitutional law will be the one medium that has had a constitutional scholar on board that has helped us to sift through these important topics. Thank you so much, Cliff. We hope to see you back in the studio again sometime when you're headed halfway to Harrisburg and you're here during the 830 hour. Give us a buzz back. We'll have you back here.
6: I would love it. Be well and be healthy. Take care.
1: Thank you so much, Cliff Readers, founding partner of Readers, Travis Humphrey Waters and Dorman, uh, the new Texas abortion law and the Pennsylvania mask mandate. Uh, Stan Zellers and I will be back for 30 minutes of open phones. all right thank you so much for joining us on WKOK Sunrise Mark Lawrence here Mr. Stan Zellers our good uh, one of the founding members of the Susquehanna Valley Conservatives is back with us so we appreciate that welcome aboard sir thanks for coming in Thank you. Our On the Mark program, sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. Please always do as I've done. Go to sunburymotors.com. Toll free line is open. Call us now. 1-800-795-9565. That's 1-800-795-9565. You heard Cliff Reader say that the mask mandate from the governor is legal uh, based on this old law that's uh, sort of designed to protect society from health issues. So what's your remark on that? 1-800-795-9565. Texas Abortion Law law at this phase uh, untested by the U.S. Supreme Court just not so onerously illegal that it had to be stricken down on first glance by the court but that's not going to uh, uh, probably be the lasting decision on that there will be others either upholding it or striking it down, we'll find out you can email us at onthemark at WKOK.com and you can text us at 70236, always include uh, the keyword OTM in your text I want to tell you about the Sunbury Motor Company family owned dealership since 1915, 4th Street, Sunbury, and Routes 11 and 15, Hummelsworth. Very good place to go if you are looking for a new truck or a new Kia or a new Hyundai, a new Ford of any type or stripe. Uh, Some of the vehicles they have in stock and some of the other vehicles you do order them, and it takes a while, a month or two to get them in, but then they come in and you get the vehicle of your selection. They got some mannequin vehicles there, a Bronco mannequin that looks like a great Badlands version of the Bronco. They're going to have the soon have a mannequin of the full-size Bronco on board, so you can order that. Uh, some good wait times there, but that is feasible. Do what I did. Order an F-150, a Kia a Telluride, and a Hyundai Veloster, and then when they all come in, you got some fantastically perfectly picked-out vehicles for you and your family. SunburyMotors.com is where the quest began, and we invite you to join in that. SunburyMotors, Motors, SunburyMotors.com. All right. Uh, your reaction to what you heard from Attorney readers, he's really talking about the fact that uh, the courts are. <laughs> you know, we talk about the president having power and Congress having power, but the courts are the are the deciders these days.
2: It seems to me that uh, you know, looking at what he said from a thirty thousand foot point of view, I'll. I'll uh, this is this is my thought. Society has uh, t- tremendous potentially divisive issues facing it today. And if every one of those issues has to be litigated because uh, the, the progressives want one thing and the conservatives want something else, how is society ever going to continue to uh, uh, continue to be viable I mean, if we have to litigate everything that you know, uh, Attorney Readers mentioned uh, the emotional content of uh, of the law, and it seems to me that uh, that emotional that emotional element is driving a lot of things that are going on legally today. Uh, I just don't see how society is is benefiting from that,
1: or if society's in peril. Exactly. I mean,
2: we're we're going down. Am I right? I am I'm, I'm, I'm a student of history. Uh, uh, I've said it before. Uh, yes, America is in deep trouble.
1: Our republic is in trouble. We, we talked a little bit about that. You talk about, uh, you uh, made a uh, remarks recently uh, on print, anyway, that uh, one of the ways to uh, tear apart a country, divide the people. We certainly have established that today. Distract the people and <laughs> social media, TikTok, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, et cetera, are the ways that we do that. Destroy faith in government destroy faith in the judicial system, co-opt the media, destroy the economy, destroy the dollar, destroy credibility with allies, destroy the education system, debase the military, destroy history, destroy faith in the electoral process, destroy law enforcement, and destroy national sovereignty. The southern border is your first point of uh, contention there. Uh, I would argue that these are definitely contentious issues in the U.S., but these are the proof... As Dr. Sorka said only a few short months ago, we keep getting better and better and better as a nation, becoming more fair, more just, more hopeful. I know we are divided, but uh, that's only because I happen to know what everybody's opinion is now. I'm not sure that we're more divided. I think we're just more knowledgeable about the division. But uh, elaborate, please.
2: Well, there's an element of that. I mean, uh, certainly uh, communications... Opportunities today are much broader than they were even 40 years ago. Uh, I look at the inter- the advent of the internet as one of the uh, blessings or curses that we're uh, that society is faced with these days. Uh, certainly, the opportunity to convey information is much greater now than it was before. Uh, th- my, my whole contention is that what is going on with all these elements that you just listed is a plan and the plan is being executed and uh, the, what's behind the plan is globalism. I think that each of these elements ties back to globalism uh, and an effort to destroy America. Now I, you know, I don't know what the, I'm. I'm certain there are listeners who are progressive and listeners who are conservative. Uh, to me, this is not a political issue. This is a survival issue. If we want our country to survive, we have to stop. We have to stop hating each other. And, uh, you know, as attorney Reeder said, remove the uh, emotional element from a lot of these debates. Now, uh, I don't think there can be any argument that America is severely divided uh, today uh, as opposed to... Well, let's, let's go back to uh, one, of the, one of the elements that you pointed out, uh, Mark, destroy faith in government. During the Kennedy administration, which was back in the early 60s, about 75% of the people had had faith and trust in, in the federal government. Today, it's 25%. What caused that? You know, there's all different kinds of things that that we can look at. Uh, bad, bad faith uh, and bad behavior by government officials and, and the media. Uh, I'll just name a few. You know, to me, it started with the Kent State Massacre. I was I was either a junior or a senior in high school when that happened. Today, I'm a little bit older and my hair is a different color. Uh, and then there was Watergate and Nixon's resignation, uh, Spiro Agnew's conviction for tax evasion and re- resignation. All these things erode public confidence in government. Now, the latest to me is the Biden withdrawal non-plan from Afghanistan. This morning on the news, uh, his uh, Uh, his rating stands at 43% approval. Now, whether you're, and I understand, uh, I understand polls. You can, you can uh, pre, you can predetermine the outcome of a poll simply by the way you phrase a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so okay,
1: so he's not as popular as he used to be.
2: No, certainly, and and the poll was taken. That particular poll was taken. I think it was uh, NPR and Marist uh, was taken prior to uh, this Afghanistan. Th- this incredibly stupid <laughs> uh, withdrawal Jeez. from Afghanistan.
1: Well, he'll be popular again next year. <laughs> <laughs> we can hope. All right. We have some callers <laughs> standing by, but we are talking about our Republican going down. What's your view on this? And the mask mandate is um, is just one molecule of that. And the Texas abortion law is another molecule of that. 1-800-795-9565. One of our listeners says, thanks for another great offering of remarks from Cliff Reader. Another one says, given the U.S. Supreme Court no action stance, if an abortion takes place in Texas today on a fetus who has a detectable heartbeat, Isn't it true that the principals involved will be subjected to that $10,000 settlement from or $10,000 fine from a citizen anywhere in the country who sues? I don't know if you have to be a Texas resident. People always use the examples of Texas people, but uh, maybe, yeah, maybe uh, maybe you and I could sue. Somebody else could sue.
2: Well, that was one question I had for attorney readers, and that, he touched on it uh, a little bit, and that's a question of standing. But
1: we're all society members, too. So.
2: Yes, that's true, but, uh, I mean, f- from a legal point of view, I don't think uh, the uh, the concept of standing takes that broad uh, an interpretation, so I uh, I just Wonder whether how how you get around the issue of standing if you're uh, a, T- a Texas resident or a resident of Pennsylvania, and you get word that a uh, uh, an abortion provider in Texas. Uh, uh, has allowed an abortion. Has allowed an abortion where or there's fetal somebody, Yeah,
1: even just referring somebody sure. to someplace where it can happen. All right, Van, you're on the line. We got one globalist on the line, and we got one globalist in the studio. And this <laughs> republic
7: is going down. Go ahead, Van. Uh, it's one globalist to another. Uh, yeah, I, I do agree with your guest there that there is a plan to destroy America. And one thing I I think, and maybe the guy there as is was talking, thinks that this is the same also, because we're looking at Afghanistan. It's such a debacle. I don't believe it was a mistake. I believe it was a plan. No one is that stupid. You know, this, this was a planned departure. They planned to leave the stuff behind that's there. There was no pressure. We were not being attacked by the Taliban. It wasn't like we were retreating to escape from there. We had plenty of time to, to get people and the equipment out of there So it was on purpose so there's a reason behind why they've done this they've left the Taliban with a lot of equipment a lot of power
2: and let me tell you a lot of that equipment uh, is already in the hands of Russia and China now absolutely think I- think about this we have the most uh, allegedly the most powerful and the most sophisticated military in the world so that military has just surrendered to a bunch of guys whose tank corps consists of Toyota pickup trucks mounted with machine guns. Now, mm-hmm. how is that possible? And and you know th- this whole idea, you're you're totally right. This this uh, to me this was a part of a plan. Mm-hmm. And 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 just, just like I want to interrupt you, but just just like with what we're
7: seeing with this COVID virus. This this was a manufactured virus that's come out. It's you know they had the gain of function research that produced this virus, and they unleashed it on the world, and they are using this to control people. Now, Switzerland is not locked down like other countries have, and they're doing the best out of any country. Those that have have been vaccinating their people, like Israel, is one of the top ones. They have the most cases of the Delta variant. Many people are getting sick. And what's happening, like in our country and in many other countries, they're having these lockdowns. And what are the lockdowns doing? Are they, are they protecting people from getting COVID? No. What they are doing, they are destroying businesses. And it's not the big global businesses like Walmart and Home Depot and Lowe's and McDonald's. They're, they're thriving. Amazon's thriving. These global corporate you know, businesses are making money hand over fist.
2: Well, uh, destroy the economy was one of the uh, elements that uh, Mark enumerated. This is
1: your listing, though. This is your good set of words that I was reading.
2: Yes. So, uh, think about this. Donald Trump was the only—he recognized the threat that China was. China wants to be the dominant force in the world. Donald Trump stood up to China. So, what did China do? They, they manufactured this virus and released it on the world, which, you know, Donald Trump's um, major suit was the, the, the fantastic American economy. So it destroyed the American economy. It killed millions of people worldwide, and we're still seeing the lingering effects. I wonder if COVID is ever going to go go off the national radar. Oh, it will <laughs>
7: never go. Away. It will never go away. They're going to use this thing. It's it's like if you if you look, the coronavirus is like the common cold. Yes. And they will never. There's doctors that they they want to take them off the air, not let them have any access to social media, but a majority of the doctors out there know the truth behind this. It is never going to go away. They're never going to be able to develop a vaccine that will will stop you from getting COVID. The vaccines they have now do not stop people from getting COVID. And now they're talking about having booster shots. And these people, if you realize it or not, now here's, here's a lawyer I listened to the other day. They said about how this Pfizer vaccine has been FDA approved. That is a lie because according to the law, once a vaccine is approved by the FDA, every other vaccine on the market that is for that particular virus or whatever disease it is must immediately cease to be used, and that's not the case. And Pfizer is not going to release until 2024 in May the results of their testing. So if you would go to your doctor and ask for the Pfizer-FDA-approved vaccine, your doctor would have to say, we don't have such a thing. It's not available.
1: All right, we got you, Van. Thank you so much for calling in. Really appreciate it. All right, we'll take a quickie break. Uh, we got our, the rest of the day's callers lined up. We will be right back.
5: When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Submarine Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your truck. Trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC Way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth.
1: All right, welcome back. WKOK live telephone talk show on the mark. Uh, we're glad to say that our caller was paci- callers were patient. You get about a minute each. Mike, I'm so sorry that we re- were out of time, but please go right ahead.
7: I just tuned in, Mark. When you were going through your list uh, attributed to uh, Cliff, I believe it is. And Cliff, I want to. No, ask no, you, no, not
1: Cliff. Uh, Stan, <laughs> Stan Cliff, wrote the list.
7: Okay, that was on that list. Was there uh, an attribute? saying increase the dependency class and raise their participation level
2: in the electoral process. Was that on the list?
1: Not specifically in so many words, but it's, it's yeah, the, written the, the, the between th- the, the lines. was
2: there, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
7: Yes, d- definitely. And just keep in mind, anybody that said the virus came from the lab, you know, a year and a half ago, was con- considered a nut and a conspiracy theorist, and 500 scientists were willing to sit, uh, sign a letter and say so, and I'm sure that many people that uh, criticize that list are being called nuts in conspiracy theories. <laughs> but if they hang on long enough, they're going to be found out to be true.
1: We've got a lot of nuts around here. All right, well, thank you so much. You're welcome. All righty, and Chris, you're going to be last.
8: Boy, and then if you take everything that those crazy conspiracy there is said that weren't true, then they never apologize for any of them. And the idea that Biden's trying to destroy America by surrendering equipment or something to, to, uh, to, uh, Afghanistan is just so crazy as to be unbelievable. It's like, uh, uh, Trump organized the surrender. It wasn't, it wasn't Biden who organized the surrender. He might've left more weapons than Trump claims he would do, but of course that wouldn't be possible. But let's say he claims it, but it's still not true. It, he, surre- he surrendered to the ragtag team of uh, uh, Toyotas. So don't blame that on Biden. That was Trump.
2: You cannot argue about a situation that happened two or three days ago by going back to a situation that was I'm, in place. I'm not,
8: I'm not talking about the, the, the equipment. I'm talking about the surrender. that was Trump was surrendering to to the Taliban, that's what the treaty was about.
2: Donald Trump had a plan in place for an orderly withdrawal. Now you're skewing the facts to, to fit your narrative. No, no,
8: no, 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 he didn't. Prove it. <laughs> you prove he did. Show me the plan.
2: The plan was... And also
8: China, China, Trump did China an enormous favor by taking us out of that Pacific Treaty that was being negotiated, because that let them be the big wheel there. That was, that was the China's benefit.
2: Look, I can see that I'm not going to convince you otherwise, so let's, let, let's not, either one of us, waste our breath here. I just I, want to make I, one final point. I'm before giving you facts. Th- yeah, I believe in facts, too, and your facts and my facts don't jive, so th- there's no point what, in continuing what fact? this. What
8: What fact? Uh, Chris, you don't think the Taliban time? was going to take over the Afghanistan when when Trump organized his retreat?
1: Thank you so much, Chris. One of our listeners says, "Seriously, Mark, you've lost it. Unchallenged conspiracy theories, ten minutes worth. There has to be some way to require accountability for the undocumented false opinions of your callers. Not not you though. If your opinions were okay, so you you made the cut." Thank you so much. I'll have you back one time when we have ninety minutes of open phones. Okay. That would be great. Clear Thank you. calendar spot. Thank you, everybody, for listening this week. This is WDK. Okay, Sunbury.